0: Borderlands Buzz, a podcast brought to you by the Borderlands Research Institute at Sul Ross State University. The Borderlands Research Institute is conserving the last frontier through research, education, and outreach. Support for this podcast comes from Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation.
1: I'm Lydia Saldana with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation. We're partnering with the Borderlands Research Institute to bring you this podcast. Our guests today are Dr. Ryan Luna with the Borderlands Research Institute, that we also call that BRI, by the way, and BRI graduate student Trey Johnson. Thanks for being with us, guys.
0: Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us.
1: Yeah, we're going to cover a few topics today. We'll just kind of see what comes up, ranging from quail research to what it's like being a student at the Borderlands Research Institute. And also, I want to kind of dive into the paths that brought each of you here and whatever other topics might come up. Uh, Dr. Loon, I'm going to start with you and tell us a little bit about the program that you lead at BRI.
0: So I'm in charge of our Upland Game Bird Research Program here at BRI. Uh, we primarily focus on research in the Transpacus. Uh, Transpacus is very unique in that it has four different species of quail. We have the Bobwhite, Montezuma, the Gambles quail, and the Scaled quail. Uh, because much of the state has the Bob Whites and there's a lot of other universities that is the one species that we don't currently have any projects with. So we focus primarily with scaled quail, but then we also have projects on Montezuma as well as gambles. Uh, In addition to those, we occasionally also study some waterfowl projects as well as wild turkey.
1: Okay, now Trey, I understand that you just defended your thesis. How How did that go? Tell us about that and also tell us a little bit about the project and your key findings.
2: Well, I thought it went pretty well. I passed, so I, I guess it went well enough. It was a little intimidating leading up to the defense, but after I settled in and, and started the actual defense, it, uh, my nerves kind of resolved, and it was easy from there. Um, the purpose of my study was to determine whether or not certain parasites that infect quail uh, were actually damaging the tissues that they infected, and then also I was looking to document any pathogens that hadn't been previously found quail in the transpacus.
1: So what'd you find?
2: We determined from the samples that we collected that, there, that those particular parasites weren't severely damaging the tissues that they infected and we also did find a whole array of path, novel pathogens in the quail that we sampled as well.
1: So we talked about defending your thesis and I have to admit that I chickened out and I did a non-thesis master's when I got mine. <laughs> so share with listeners what is that like defending your thesis?
2: I mentioned it was a little nerve-wracking. It's essentially the, the final step towards earning your master's degree in the thesis track. And it begins with just like a 20 or 30 minute presentation about your project and it's open to the public. And After that, there's a Q&A session that's also open to the public and everybody just asks questions that they had about, about your project in particular. And then after that, uh, everybody gets kicked out and it's just a, a closed door session with you and your committee members. And that's, in my opinion, when the defense actually began, you're defending why you did what you did and why you think you found what you found, if that makes sense. So
1: who, who was on your committee? Was Dr. Luna on your committee?
2: Yes, ma'am. So Dr. Luna was my committee chair, and then Dr. Rollins and Dr. Carlos Gonzalez were also on my committee.
1: So Dr. Luna, anything to add um, from your perspective on that process?
2: So the thesis is
0: typically our culmination of their research. Um, They have both a written document that gets published as well as an oral presentation. Uh, Essentially, it's their opportunity to tell us what has been the major focus of their life for the last two years, Um, list those major funding um, aspects to it as well as their major findings. And it also most of the time has kind of that take home message, why is this research useful for local landowners and where can we use that to um, push research in the future?
1: How, how is that useful? How was your findings useful?
2: Well, just being able to learn more about these pathogen communities in, in the desert quails will be important. And especially knowing that these there's eye worms and sea that we were looking at and knowing that they weren't actually damaging the tissues that they infected. We, we know that they're not infecting or affecting individuals individual quail. And so it's just not something we have to worry about when we're talking about managing quail in the future.
1: Huh, and I guess, was that a little, was that surprising to you?
2: Um, I didn't really have any preconceived ideas leading into the the project. So I was just looking, I kind of had an open mind as far as what we may find or what we might not find.
1: Now you described the findings. Let's dive a little bit deeper to learn about how you got there. Can you describe the data that you had to gather to get you to the point that you're defending a thesis?
2: We collected samples, we collected quail um, from across the Trans-Pecos. We would go out uh, with bird dogs and shotguns primarily and uh, find quail and collect them, bring them back to the the laboratory. And uh, we were actually doing necropsies on all of these birds and and we were looking for different kinds of parasites within these birds. And once we found them, we would uh, save them in formalin vials and submit those to Texas A&M and they were identifying those parasites and determining whether or not they were actually damaging the tissues that they infected.
1: And I understand you you worked with a couple of other students as well, right Trey?
2: Rachel Bittner and Zoe Carroll, uh, they were each working on their own kind of segment of this project as well.
1: So Dr. Luna, how does this project fit into the body of research out there on this topic? Did it fill in some gaps? You know, what happens with that data and how is that information shared with others?
0: Yes, this one filled in some gaps. So there's over the last about six years, there's been uh, quite a bit of research been going on with uh, parasites, specifically the eye worm and sequel worm in bobwhite quail. Uh, one of the aspects that was largely missing from that data was the effects and the, the parasite loads in our scaled quail. And because the TransPecus is primarily uh, comprised of scaled quail, that was kind of the main focus for this project. So it was definitely going to fit a little niche that we were missing on that data. Um, Additionally, we also pulled uh, opportunistic samples on Montezuma and Gambles and threw those in the mix. Of course, we don't have the the robust sample sizes on those species, but we do have a little bit of data on them as well.
1: How do you all choose these projects?
0: It varies quite a bit. So, of course, with Texas being 96% privately owned, a number of these projects are taking place on private ranches. So a lot of times we're working with landowners to answer specific questions that will help them in their management. So we have very finite, detailed uh, research that goes on on some of those ranches. Other times we're partnering with major groups or other universities to kind of answer a broader question. So we have a fairly broad um, scope on where we get our projects and kind of which questions they're specifically going to be answering.
1: Well, let, let's pivot here a bit and discuss the university experience during these these strange times of COVID. Um, Trey, let me ask you first, what, what has that experience been like for you since, I guess, mid-March?
2: Well, for the vast majority of the time, it didn't really impact me. I was in a place where all I was really doing was writing, and so I could just, I could take my laptop anywhere and, and do the work I needed to do, but I did actually get coronavirus uh, a couple of weeks ago and it forced a, a virtual defense where I was actually in my sitting in my bedroom defending my thesis and that was odd to say the least.
1: How are you feeling?
2: Um, I'm back to 100% now.
1: Good, 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 good. Dr. Luna, how have you had to adapt?
2: It's
0: been a little bit different for us. So I'm also the chair of the Department of Natural Resource Management. And it, of course, last spring semester, it shut down classes at the end of that semester. Uh, This fall, everything looked a little bit different. All of our classrooms were limited to about 50% capacity, as well as implementing a lot of Zoom or online aspects to different classes. So we do have some hybrid classes. Currently, just because of the structure of many of the classes we offer, we have a very strong hands-on opportunity in most of those classes. So within our department, about 80% of our classes are still face-to-face just at a reduced number. Um, When you compare our department to other departments up on main campus, uh, those ones are probably about 50-50 on the face-to-face versus online.
1: And you do a lot of field stuff with your students as well, don't you?
0: Correct. Uh, We try to get their hands dirty that very first uh, freshman class. And for the majority of our classes, we'll have a field component. Uh, the idea with us is that we have small class sizes. We have that fairly small student-to-faculty ratio, um, which allows us to throw all those individuals into a van, um, go out in the field, and actually see what's going on in the landscape instead of just watching a video of me do it or you know PowerPoints and, and reading articles. So we like to get that hands-on experience. And I think that helps a lot of our students learn. I know I was a, a hands-on learner and I kind of to structure my classes the same way.
1: Trey, I know you went to Texas A&M, and I know that's a much different campus environment than your experience there in Alpine. Um, (laughs) COVID notwithstanding, how has the experience been at uh, Sul Ross and BRI?
2: Well, it's kind of how Dr. Luna described it. Uh, I really enjoyed my time out here, but having the small community and and the the small student to uh, advisor ratio, it allows me to spend a lot more time with uh, professors that are on my committee and also people that I, I don't even work directly with. I've been able to uh, build a relationship with almost everybody within the department. And I feel like that's probably unique.
1: Yeah, I'm always interested in people's journeys and kind of what got you where you are. And Trey, what led you to seek a graduate degree in wildlife management and natural resource management at BRI?
2: Well, at, at some point while I was at a I realized that uh, I wanted to pursue a master's degree later on and after I'd spent some time out of school working with upland game birds I realized that I was ready to go back and uh, get that degree and I've always loved this part of the state I'd spent some time here hunting while I was growing up and I knew I wanted to work with Upland game birds and so it seemed like it was a pretty obvious choice for me just knowing where I wanted to be and what I wanted to work with and it only you know it brought me here so
1: And Dr. Luna, the same question for you. How did your career path lead you to BRI?
0: Mine's pretty convoluted. Um, (laughs) I'm not your typical academic. So after undergrad, I actually went back to my home state of New Mexico and I served there as a game warden for a number of years. Between that and starting grad school, I also did some pharmaceutical research. And then after grad school, um, I knew I was gonna focus on wildlife and stay in that field. Um, When I was finishing up my doctorate, I anticipated going and working for the feds and being a federal biologist, but that was at the same time as one of their um, furloughs that shut everything down in their hiring process for about three to four months. So I had about 60, 63 applications out with them uh, when they were not able to hire. And one of the other job opportunities that came open was a faculty position here at Sol Ross. And my family had had a, a and leased out here for a number of years, so we knew Alpine, knew the area, knew some of the landowners, and when we looked at that, and discussed it with my wife, and she said I could definitely live in Alpine, and I put my name in the hat and applied for the job and actually had another um, application. I was left straight from this interview and went to Missouri and was sitting in on an interview in Missouri whenever they called back and offered us uh, this position, and we immediately jumped on it. It's a great location, great people to work with, great landowners, Um, just very blessed to be out here.
1: That's awesome. I love Alpine too. I bet it's just a great place to raise a family. What's on the horizon for the Upland Game Bird Program? What are some of the research projects and priorities that are on the horizon?
0: So we're kind of in that transition right now with a number of students finishing up, and then we're starting uh, two specific projects kicking off uh, this fall and this coming spring. Uh, One of those is going to be a Montezuma quail focus. It's going to be coming up with a detection index uh, for a population model so that we can go out and and figure out how many of these birds we actually have here in Texas. Uh, Montezuma quail are currently listed as a game bird in Texas, but there's no open season on them. And we really don't have an idea of how many we truly have here in the state. So they don't behave like a typical quail. And so coming up with a way to detect them and estimate populations has been challenging to say the least so we have one of those projects that's kicking off um, this semester starting this spring we're also uh, have a new project teaming up with concho um, up in the permian basin and that one specifically will be looking at uh, scaled quail across a gradient of oil and gas uh, production areas so we'll have a control area and then sites that have um, various amounts of oil and gas infrastructure, and then we'll be looking at habitat use, recruitment, just all the different parts of ecology that we can play in across those three different landscapes. So we have a great research report that will be coming out here soon. It's kind of the culmination of what a lot of our studies have been over the last five years. Uh, We have a couple feature articles in there as well as some tidbits on those that are getting ready to finish up the great report just showing what the upland game bird projects have been doing over the years here. We have huge number of individuals that, that helped to bring this together, not only through the editing process, but also those individuals that helped us to conduct the research. Groups like Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation was was huge in this. Um, Kelly R. Thompson Professorship was also very useful in order to putting all this together. Of course, with Texas being privately owned, primarily we couldn't do anything um out here without support of landowners so for this specific publication we had the apache ranch we had uh, the Lado ranch we had nine point mesa which were our primarily uh used branches for this research project we've also have components working with um, bureau of land management in new mexico the dixon water foundation uh, john boyndexter and friends uh, likes brothers national wild turkey federation United States Fish and Wildlife Service, USDA, Southwest Natural Resource Career Track Program, Texas Parks and Wildlife, Sandia Springs Wetland, as well as uh, the San Antonio Livestock Exposition. Primary funders in addition to our landowners have mostly been Park City's Quail Coalition, the San Antonio Quail Coalition, a few other chapters of Quail Coalition, as well as Pheasants Forever, and the National Wild Turkey Federation. So lots and lots of different partners to to bring all these different projects together. Uh, But this research report should be pretty interesting to everybody and kind of gives a highlight of what we've been doing out here over the last five to seven years.
1: Yeah, and as we we record this, we are literally on press with that report. (laughs) So it'll be distributed here in the next few weeks. And of course, we'll also have a, a version of the report up on our website so that everybody can take a look at it. And I'll also add that this is a series of reports that we're going to begin doing every fall and spring. We'll have um, new reports out and then every every program will be, be updated every other year. So it's an exciting long-term project. So it's going to be neat to see that, you know, roll off the press there. Yes. Um, we can wrap up here and Trey, let me just ask what's next for you. I know you've You've successfully defended your dissertation. You've got, what, another month or two. What are you hoping to do with your master's degree after you um, you graduate?
2: So I'm looking to stay in academia. Uh, I've been hunting for a PhD position for about six months now. and That's kind of what's on the horizon right now for me.
1: That's exciting. That's exciting. Good luck to you. Um, Dr. Luna, any closing comments here?
0: Thank you for the opportunity and having us on today. We greatly appreciate the, the time and, and the investment that you guys have in, in conservation. Looking at BRI, if anybody has any questions about our current projects or, or what all we're doing, you can always go to our website. And that's going to be bri.solros.edu It will have all of our game bird projects on there, as well as the other research that we're affiliated with throughout the area. So very useful site and also has links to some of our publications if anybody's interested in those.
1: Well, thank you both so much for your time today. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Appreciate your time. Borderlands Buzz is brought to you by the Borderlands Research Institute at Sul Ross State University and sponsored by Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation. Find out more about our work at bri.sulross.edu.